Welcome to the More Sure Word Podcast with Pastor Matt Russell, teaching and explaining the Word of God verse by verse for your spiritual growth. Here's Pastor Matt with today's sermon. All right, let's go before the Father in prayer, ask His blessing and His help. Loving Father, we know You are love. It is your very nature to love. You've shown us great love in Christ. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We ask that you'll show us the reality of our hearts tonight. Lord, my heart is heavy. Your word is powerful. Your word is convicting. Would you please do a work here tonight? Would you reveal the nature of people's hearts? Would you show them where they stand in you? Help us to reflect on our life. Help us to reflect on who we are. Help us to see with clarity. May your Holy Spirit convict and encourage tonight where he sees fit. To the glory of Christ, to the praise of his name, our Savior. We pray in his name. Amen. Please open your Bibles to 1 John. 1 John chapter 4. Pick up where we left off in 1 John. So glad to be back in this letter. Powerful verses before us. John is as blunt as ever, but so helpful. I've titled this section before us in 1 John chapter 4, verses 19 through 21, Lover or Liar. Lover or Liar. There's an archaeologist by the name of Howard Carter who became famous when him and his associates found King Tut, the body of King Tut. As they were searching within the pyramids that they were exploring, they came upon a casket, dusty, cobwebbed, dirty. They opened it to find another casket. This one a little bit more ornate than the first, a little bit more design intricacies. So they quickly opened that one to find a third casket. This one with gold leaflets around it and decoration and gems. Getting more excited, they opened that casket to find a fourth casket. This one, pure gold. A pure gold casket. So now they're getting really excited and they lift lift open the fourth casket to find gold spun into linen wrapped around a body. Pure gold linens. So they carefully begin to unwrap the head. And as they do, they find a solid 24 karat gold face mask. And now's the moment of truth. They slowly take off the mask and they all gasp because there before them is a decrepit, leathery, stinking, rotting skeletal face. This is quite a picture of the essence of hypocrisy, is it not? There is hypocrisy. Ornate, splendid, majestic caskets built up around the grossest, rotting, stinking, stenching, decaying flesh. God says in Ephesians chapter 2, 
that all of us, apart from Christ, are dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually dead, rotting, decaying, apart from God. And yet we build up these ornate, splendid, outward lives to try to deceive people into thinking what's inside is equally splendid and lovely and beautiful. But really it's wicked, hateful, rebellious, sinful hearts. And sometimes as we hide what's true inside, we bring a few close other equally wicked people around us who receive the favor of smelling the rotten stench that comes out of our mouths when we open them to them to hear the gossip and the slander and the perverse and the crude speech that's really inside. We provide a cover on the outside which gives the impression of vibrant, healthy life, God-loving, Christ-loving life inside when there's nothing but deadness inside. Such was the nature of the false teachers in Asia Minor. We love God. We have the secret knowledge about God. Wouldn't you love to hear this too? Oh, but we do not care about you. We are the elite. We are the special group. So John had to write to a confused, a hurt, a desperate group of Christians who needed to know, do we have the vibrant life of Christ within us? Or are we actually spiritually dead inside? How can I know if I'm really in the faith? John, help me. What if I'm another hypocrite? What if I'm another dead and rotting spiritual corpse? I'm not like these teachers. John's writing to provide clarity. John's written to show us the fruit and root connection. That the, the, that the vine produces life for the branch. And that if, if nutrients are flowing from the vine to the branch, fruit will be abundant on that branch. Love for God, love for Christ, obedience to His Word, love for the truth. And so John focuses in here on love once again. Do I have the fruit of true life, John? Listen to verse 19 through 20. We love because He first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. John provides the clarity we need. John wanted assurance and security for those believers. And so as he focuses in on the fruit of love, he's providing keys to unlock the caskets of their heart so they can peer in in the full blazing light on true living and vital healthy life in Christ. But sometimes the byproduct of such clarity, of such light, can be a horrible reality. It can be the reality that I am actually stinking rotting, spiritually depraved sinner. And so as John opens up this fruit of love for us, we find three keys to unlock the reality of your love. 
and show you if you're a lover or a liar. And the first key is the largest. The first key cannot be skipped. The first key is the largest lock. And you must unlock this one if you're even to get to the second locks to open up the door and peer in. And this first key is your love's origin. Your love's origin. We find this first key in verse 19. Look again at verse 19 with me. We love. Why? Here's the origin. Because he first loved us. Because he first loved us. Love is the focus here. Is there love in your life? But not just is there love, because we could all define love the way we want to in order to suit our needs. Is there biblical love in your life? Is there divine love in your life? Is there true love in your life? And so the first thing we glean instantly from verse 19 is that true love comes from God. True biblical divine love finds its source in God. It comes from Him. The substance of your life has to be divine love. Look back to chapter 4, verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from who? God. Look to verse 7. Sorry, verse 8. That was verse 7. Verse 8. The one who does not love does not know God. Why? For God is love. Look down at verse 16. We have come to know and have believed the love which God has for us. God is love. And the one who dwells in love dwells in God, and God dwells in him. Are you seeing love, real love, God-honoring love, sacrificial, selfless love in your life? Which is to say, if you have love in your life, if you love others in a God-honoring way, you have received that love from God. You can't find it in this world. You can't produce it by your own efforts. You can't muster up your strength, tell yourself, okay, today I'm going to love in a God-honoring way in my own strength. It must come from God. But John goes deeper. There's an even deeper reality here. And that is true love is initiated by God. Look again at verse 19. We love because he first loved us. He initiated our love. He had to start our love. Notice the past tense nature of God's love there that John writes in verse 19. Because he loved us, a past tense event, a past act of love, whereby God entered into your loveless dead life and enabled you to love. We love because he first loved us. He had to love us for us to love. We have to look rightly at who we are, what the Bible says about the human nature outside of Christ. We were dead. We were spiritually breathless, spiritually lifeless, spiritually loveless, incapacitated, on the ground, no hope, no future, nothing but condemnation, eternal death. And God reached down and performed divine CPR. But even that analogy breaks down because that implies that we had life and then we lost it and then he tried to perform CPR. So maybe it's like God reached down and took the paddles to shock our heart back into life. 
because it wasn't beating at all. But even that breaks down because at some point our heart was beating and then it stopped. So the greatest reality that I can come up with is that you were a rotting, decaying, dead, zombie-like, spiritually grotesque, rebellious, sinful, wicked person with no ability to please God, no ability to obey Him, no surgery, no transplant, no renewal of your organs could work. It had to be a miraculous recreation. God took everything dead inside and replaced it with brand new life. We see a brilliant illustration of this in Lazarus. Think about Lazarus. Dead. Dead as dead can be. Dead as a doornail. Dead as a dog. Four days dead. Rigor mortis setting in. Organs decaying. Christ comes. Christ loves Lazarus. Christ walks up to the tomb. And what does he say? Lazarus, come forth. And in that moment, through the words of Christ, a miracle had to have taken place in that tomb. Imagine if you could have seen it. Skin regrowing. Maybe it was instantaneous. Maybe it was growing. Organs renewed. Rigor mortis reversing. Heart beating, blood flowing. And now Lazarus has the ability to walk towards Christ, but only because Christ enabled him to. What can a dead man do? A dead man can't do anything. It's not a trick question. Dead men lie down and don't do anything. There's no life. That's what it means to be dead. God enabled, Christ enabled Lazarus to come forth. And in the same way, in the great spiritual picture, God, if you're in Christ, if you follow Him, if you love Him, if you're a believer, God breathed new life into you. His love entered your life and enabled you to love Him and others. He gave you the ability to. Is your love sourced in God? Is your love for others biblical, sacrificial, God-honoring? And is your love following the model of your Father? The initiator. Not waiting for an invitation. Okay, now you can love me. Okay, now you can speak this truth to me. Okay, now you can come and try to reconcile with me. No, you go. You go, you reconcile. You go, you edify. You go, you speak the truth in love. You go and meet the needs of someone without an invitation. If God had waited for an invitation from us, okay, now God, I want you to love me, he'd still be waiting. Because none of us would have invited him. None seeks for God. No, not one. Dead people don't seek. Dead people don't ask. John wants to take this one step further. Notice that true love is sustained by God. God's love here was a past tense act, but our love, verse 19, is a continuous love. We love present tense. We love as a pattern of our life. Why? Because God first loved us, which is to say that it's God's love, his act of love, which is the sustaining power in our life to continue to love. We have to be dependent upon his love to continue to love because his love is the very substance of our love. If we try to cut him off from the love that we pour out to others, we've choked the source of our love. 
So our love has to be one that's daily, moment to moment, depending, calling out to Him, God, continue to help me love like Christ. Lord, help me to see how I can love that person. Father, help me to meet their needs just in the way they need. It's the only place to be. And with with this first key, the door is now ajar. The door to your heart should be ajar. And maybe some of you can already start to peer in and see where I'm at. Maybe you're already starting to smell some fumes coming out. And you're not too happy with what's in there. But hopefully, prayerfully, you're starting to be assured. You're starting to have the joy made full that John wants us to have. 1 John 1, 4. We don't just want to peer inside, though. We want, to, we want to swing this door open. So we come to the second key, the second lock, and that's your love's action. Your love's action. Not just your love's origin, where does it come from, but your love's action. What does it do? What does it do? We find this in verse 20, the beginning half of verse 20. Look there again with me. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. He's a liar. John sets the stage. Here's the stage. Here's the scenario. Here's the scene. Someone's saying with their mouth, I love God. And again, there's a present tense there. I am loving God. It is the pattern of my life to love God. We could just say it very simply like this. I'm a Christian. That is what it means to be a Christian, to love God, Father, Son, and Spirit with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. So here's the scene. Me, you, the person sitting next to you, everyone here tonight, everyone in this church saying, I love God. And, there's the key, hates their brother. There's the action. They're saying with their mouth, I love God. And yet the pattern of their life is hate. Hate, hate, hate for their brother and sister in Christ. They're a liar. So if we look at the flip side of this, we we quickly realize that real love for God loves other believers. That's what true love does. It lays down its life for friends. But fake love for God hates other believers. Hates other believers. And I want to drill down on this for a moment. I think it's important. How many of us often say, I hate that person? It's not often that we do that. I hate my mom and dad. I hate that person in youth group. But the scriptures portray hate as much more than that. All throughout the scriptures, we see the word used for hate also used for disliking someone. We see that same word used for forcing someone out. Causing a division between me and them. Or a division between them and someone else. We see that same word used for just having a distaste for them. When I think about them, uh, there's nothing good in my mind. We see that same word used for deceiving other people. About ourselves or others. We see that word even used for being unfriendly to people. Because they're still the root of hate. I want to go further. I'm not done. We need, to, we need to realize where we stand on this. 2 Corinthians 12.20 shows us that hate arises from a heart of pride. Pride. Longing to see oneself above everyone else. And so it manifests itself how? 2 Corinthians 12.20. Slander. 
gossip. I'm going to tear everyone down around me to build myself up. I'm going to say things to other people that are untrue about someone, or it is true, but they should definitely not know that. I'm going to slander. I'm going to make up fake accusations, fake material about them, only to make myself look better. Ephesians 4.29 gives us another insight about hate. It contrasts the loving speech that wants to build someone up with the hateful, unwholesome speech that tears them down. And that word for unwholesome speech means perverse, crude, rude, coarse, swearing type language. Not just slander and gossip, but now I'm talking about perverse things. I'm talking about things I know I shouldn't. I'm talking, I'm swearing, I'm cursing, it's filthy. And it's hating my brother or sister who's listening. How? Because it's not building them up. It's actually seeking their destruction by making them less holy or putting a temptation before them. Leviticus 19, 16, and 17 says that slander, the same hate that produces slander, is just as hateful as telling someone, not telling someone there's a huge pit that they're going to walk into and die from. When you slander someone, the same root of hate is there as just allowing someone to die without warning. Psalm 41, verse 7 says that the heart of hate will even imagine the worst of someone. It happens in the mind, too. Hate can happen in the mind. Romans 1, 29-32 lumps haters in with arrogant, disobedient people to their parents. When you disobey your parents, there's the root of hate. Proverbs 10.18 reminds us that hatred will always be hidden with lies. The person who hates will spin a web of lies around them to keep others from knowing about their hate. Do you see the reality here? Do you see what the Bible says about hate? You don't have to murder someone to hate. And John is telling us if this, if what you just heard is the pattern of your life, gossip, slander, division, coarse, perverse, rude talk, then you're a liar about your love for God. This person uses their tongue to be equally hateful and brutal as if they were stabbing a knife into that person. And the one who hates like this is a liar. A liar. They say they love God and then they hate, they slander, they gossip, they speak perversely, crudely, wrongly, dividing, causing division, discord, disunity with their brothers and sisters in Christ. And it all becomes so clear that their profession of love for God is a flat out lie. Lie. They lie about their love for God. They lie about other people. They lie when they're confronted about their lies. It's a life of lying. Are you tired of the lies? Are you weighed down by your life of lies that you've spun around yourself? Are you enclosed in this casket of vanity when you know inside what's in your mind? You know inside what's in your heart. You know what you speak about other people. You know how you're causing divisions amongst other people. And you feel like you're drowning. You feel like the weight of guilt on you is going to crush you. And it is a full-time job just to keep up with all the lies you've spun around yourself. You can't even keep it straight anymore. There's only one way to stop being a liar. 
and let's start speaking the truth. And I'll tell you this, it must start with speaking the truth to God. God, you know I'm a liar. I can't fool you. God, you know what I really am, even though everyone else doesn't. And I need that love that you offer in Christ. You have to be like the tax collector on his knees, beating his breast, saying, be merciful to me, O God, the sinner. The sinner. The door is starting to swing open more, I hope. Because it's my desire that the reality of where you're at will bring you to Christ. And if you are in Christ, praise God. Praise God. It's his love that first loved you that has enabled you to not be in that desperate spot any longer. Take that love to others. Take that love to others. We cannot sit on such a love. If you have this love, if you are being assured, if you are being filled with joy, seek to be the initiator of love. Seek to reconcile the relationships you see broken. Seek to meet the needs of those around you all because of the magnificent love of God that you have in Christ. Let's open the door fully with the third key. The third key is your love's reason. Your love's reason. How do you defend How do you defend this love that you have in your life? How do you defend, how do you give support to your love's action and your love's origin? We find this third key in verses 20 and 21. Let's look there quickly. So we know that if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. Why, John? How could this possibly be? Because the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. That's the first reason. And the second is that God has given us a commandment that we have from him that the one who loves God should love his brother also. There is simply no way that love from God can be divided. It's an undivided love. It's a love for God and a love for others. There's no such thing as loving God and not loving others. And so the first reason he gives, shedding full light upon where we stand, is that undivided love is logical. Undivided love is logical. We see that in the first reason. It is just simply ridiculous to think that I can love God whom I've never seen with my eyes while I'm hating the person that's right here before my eyes. My wife really wants to come to youth group and be a part of it. She hasn't really been here. It'd be like you saying, I really love Mrs. Russell, but that Mr. Russell guy, man, he's annoying. I hate that guy. To which my wife would say, if you don't love him, you don't love me because he is part of me. He is part of what it, who I am. We are one. If you don't love him, you don't love me. Let me bring it home even further. Your brothers and sisters in Christ are part of the bride of Christ. They're his bride. You can't say, I love the groom, Christ, and hate his bride. Christ says, you can't hate my bride and love me at the same time. If you hate my bride, you hate me. Because I'm united to my bride. I died for my bride. I'm bringing my bride to heaven to be with me. Undivided love is simply illogical. 
simply illogical. There's no division there. God is invisible, but Christians are a visible vehicle for your selfless love. God needs nothing, but Christians are tangible targets to to, to provide for their needs in sacrificial love. Love for God might not be obvious how we do it, but other Christians provide obvious objects for how we can lay down our lives for them. And John's reasoning is pretty clear. And he brings the second reason right there with the and. And, this is the other reason, undivided love is commanded. In the Old Testament, God made it clear. If you love, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you love me, you'll love others. There's no way around it. It's part of the command. And if you're not obeying the command, then you're not loving God. It simply falls apart. It falls, it collapses in on itself. I love God, but I hate his bride. Well, then I'm not obeying God, so I, therefore I hate him. By now, the door should be swung wide open. Where do you stand? Are you a lover? Or are you a liar? Where is the source of your love? True love comes from, starts in, and continues by God. What does your love do? Empty for professions of faith while consistent hate for brothers and sisters in Christ just reveals that you're lying. And how do you defend your, defend your love? Because divided love does not make sense, and it also disobeys God. Is my deep prayer, as it always is, that some of you right now are just basking in the glorious reality of what God has done for you in Christ. You see the clear realities of the fruit of love in your life, and you can say, praise you, O Father, praise you, O Son, praise you, O Spirit, because this is not of me, this is all of you, and to you be the glory for this, because I cannot produce it. And to those of you who may be in a more scary place, I say, once again, start speaking the truth. Turn to God first. If you walk away from this message and say, okay, 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 I realize I need to start loving people, you've missed it. You've missed it. We love because God first loved us. You've got to go to the source. You've got to go with repentance. You've got to go to him and say, be merciful to me, the sinner. Lord, you know I'm a liar. Show me the love that you provide in Christ. Then go to others. Reconcile those relationships that you've crushed. Speak the truth and love to those whom you've torn down. And let's ask God that this place would be a place of divine love. Father, thank you for the, your words to us. All I can say, Lord, is do your work, I pray. May Cornerstone Community Church Youth Group be a place of love and unity and brotherly kindness and heart, harmony. Reconcile relationships, please. Cause those who are lying to come to the truth. And for those who are in the truth and are loving, we praise you. Continue to do the work that you began in them to completion. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You've been listening to the More Sure Word podcast, the preaching ministry of Pastor Matt Russell. We hope you join us again next week. I'm Riley Whittington, and may God bless you in the true knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ.